Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Good evening, everyone. Are you well? Awesome. It's good to see you guys. You know, as a believer, the most important thing in your life is the Word of God. That's the most important thing in your life. If you don't have the Word of God in your life, you can't expect to grow. And so if you're not growing in your life, the first thing that you should ask yourself is, how's my time in the Word? How's my growth in the Word? And to the extent that you're growing in the Word, you'll be able to see various things in your life take place. But before we go on, we're saying goodbye to somebody today. Um, it's part of our evening service. A uh, bittersweet moment. Is she still here? Yeah, she is. <laughs> um, well, the other couple in the morning will say goodbye to them, Dr. Morea and his wife, Karen. Uh, they're on this side. They're going to Australia. And um, Pune and Daniel, they're going to South Africa. And um, for those of you who've been with us a while, you understand that Pune and Daniel, they're part of our worship team. They're worship leaders. They're songwriters. Um, I was saying this morning about um, the one song we sang, from the north to the south, from the east, Panduleni. They wrote that song. And the other one that they wrote was, yeah, Metanga They are songwriters, you know, psalmists. And it's sad for us to, to say goodbye to them. They'll be joining our church in, in Johannesburg. And um, yeah, so Pune, won't you come? We just want to lay hands on you and pray for you. Your husband already went to Cape Town today. We just want to pray for her. Uh, God will continue to, to surround her with, with grace and favor. We will miss you a lot. A lot. But may the fire of God increase as you go to do what God has called you guys to do. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your work in her life, Lord God. We thank you just for your spirit that's worked so much throughout this year in Pune and Daniel's life. Thank you, Lord, for the outpouring of your blessing and your favor upon this church, Lord, through them, Father God. I thank you that they are jars of clay, but they are filled with treasure. And so, Father, we thank you that the songwriting will continue, Lord. They'll continue to raise up leaders, continue to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. Their lives will continue to be a testimony. Continue to be a testimony in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That you've allowed them to be here, Father God, for the past five years, oh God. And so, Father, we thank you that even as they're going, oh God, that you will lead their footsteps, oh God. And we thank you, that God, that you just bring alongside them family, Father God, that will love them, that will support them there, my God. New friendships, oh God. Father, we thank you, God, that you've already seen, Father God, the plans you have for them, oh God. And his plans to give them a hope and a future, oh God. And so, Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in their lives for this new season. See that I'm doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? And that's what I hear the Lord saying. And Father, we thank you, God, that even as they are going out, God, that they will pour themselves out as much as they pour themselves out here in this church, oh God. And so, Father, we thank you for their servanthood, oh God, and their willing hearts, my God. We pray a blessing Amen. over their household, over their finances, oh God. May they be blessed in their coming and in their going in the awesome. name of Jesus. And, uh, and on Friday, we had a wedding. You guys remember we prayed last week for Zenovan and, and his wife now, Abigail. I found out her name isn't Abigail. It's Andrea. <laughs> Abigail is the second name. So imagine, I was busy doing the vows. Do you take Abby, I mean, Andrea? <laughs> Guys, tell us your real name first. <laughs> it was really awesome. You know, it was a small wedding, you know. Uh, I think Zenovan at the moment is about 23. I think Abby is 24, yeah. And so, uh, getting married, yeah. So if you're sitting next to a guy, just look at him and ask him, how old are you? <laughs> ask him. <laughs> right? Statistically speaking, it's bad for our society if people get married too late. 
there are different repercussions. So we, our young people should be getting married around 24, 23. Uh, so just look at the guy next to you. <laughs> right? And many times, the reason why people aren't getting married, I was having a chat with one of the groomsmen. He had his traditional wedding, but he didn't, they didn't do the church thing and all. Because most of the time, there's this price tag to it. One, in a cultural context, you have come, you have to come, you can't come empty-handed, so you have to pay a dowry of about 50K or something like that, 10K, 100K. So you have to take a loan at the bank <laughs> to pay the dowry for the girl. And then, that's the part that you do. And then afterwards, the family puts so much pressure on people to have this massive wedding that costs you half a million dollars that people complain about and, oh, the tablecloths were not right enough, the dresses were not right enough. And then you spend all that day on your wedding day. And then you're in debt starting your marriage. So I would recommend highly, if you can, have a small wedding, have the important people there, invite the family members if they want to contribute, but don't wait till you are 64 because now you've saved up enough. One of the repercussions that also take place, I was talking to Richard the other day, was the fact that now, depending on the family that he's marrying into, he will not touch the girl, and what he'll do is he'll have a side chick until he can marry the girl that he honors. Just because he can't marry her now. Because the man got needs. That's what he'll say. Am I talking too openly here? <laughs> you guys look awkward. Am I making you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. So when I got married, I was 24. And I was in, a, in South Africa, and I hardly had the money to get married. I was in my final year at university. I was carrying some subjects volunteering for church. But I thought, if I don't marry this girl now, <laughs> somebody else will marry her. <laughs> right? So I want to encourage you. Don't wait. Marriage is a blessing. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And so today we're continuing with a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Nation Building. And uh, there was a time when we had a conference in the city called God and Politics. We spoke about that here as well. And just the fact that, um, yeah, God has something to say about how people govern, how government is done. And... Um, Today we're going to talk about the principles of godly government. And this is not just for those of you who are politicians or who are going into government, but this applies to every area of your life. Every area of your life. But before I go, I was really sensing in my heart that there were people here who were dealing with some discouragement. So if you can put up for us the scriptures, uh, Romans 8. I really feel like there are people here, you're going through a tough time. And the Lord really just wants to encourage you. And the, the key way that you need to be encouraged is getting the Word of God. Regardless of what you're going through, if you can get into the Word of God, God will speak to you. And the, it says the entrance of His Word gives light and revelation. Yeah? All right, so we'll read together. One, two, go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no judgment towards you. Next verse. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Next verse. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Next verse. In order that the righteous requirements of the law, this is the law of Moses, not our law here, the law of Moses, the, the religious law, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh or the senses, but according to the? Next verse. Those who live according to the flesh or the senses have their minds set on the things, on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the? Did you hear that? So that means if you want to live by the Spirit, you have to set your mind on spiritual sin, things. If you set your mind on natural things, you'll be led by the natural things. Continue. The mind governed by the flesh here is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So regardless of what you're going through, 
You can have life and peace just because you allow the truth into your heart and mind. Your mind is the door between the natural and the spiritual. Everything that Christ made available for you in the spirit comes to you through your mind. This is why we preach to you the gospel. And if you understand the gospel, you begin to experience spiritual things. Next verse. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Next verse. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Next verse. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And anyone that does not have, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Next verse. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So that means the presence of the Spirit of God in your life is actually giving life to your mortal body even though you've got a sentence of death over your body because of original sin. Next verse. And if the spirit of him, Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in, in you. Did you hear that? If the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Next verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Next verse. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So this is, if ever you say, I'm a believer, you have a right to be led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God knows your future, knows your past, knows your desires, knows God's mind. You, you don't have to live wondering what the future holds because of the Spirit of God in you, as a child of God, leads you. This is a huge truth. If you get this, you will no longer live from day to day wondering what's coming. Next. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, so you've got a spirit inside, a spirit of God, that doesn't give you fear. But it gives you the boldness of a child of God. Can you see, I'm just reading to you these things and ideas are coming in your mind. Alright, next one. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That means if you're not sure that you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit testifies to you in your spirit and says, You are a child of God. Lord, but I messed up with this and I messed up. You are a child of God. He continues to testify to your spirit until you are convinced that you're a child of God because you cannot live out what you are not believing. Next verse. Now if we are children, then we are? Yes. For some of us, there's no inheritance in our culture. <laughs> you are the pension of your parents. <laughs> right? But the Bible says that we are heirs. And heirs of God. What? That means we inherit from God. And co-heirs with if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That means whatever it takes as part of the package of being a believer, whatever trouble may come, go through it because there is glory that comes with it. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed where? In us. So regardless of what you're going through, there is glory that is being worked out inside of you. Verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children or the sons of God to be revealed. Next one. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Next one. 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What he's saying here is that as you mature, your whole environment changes. We don't have time to go into it, but continue. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, that is, the redemption of our bodies. Speaking of the second coming of Christ, when our bodies will be changed. Next one. For, the, for in, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So imagine you're in your room. You're going through a crisis and you're reading these things. In the same way, the Spirit helps me in my weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through groans, wordless groans. And so what happens is when you're going through a difficult time, in your spirit you'll be praying. And every, every sigh, every groan is a prayer. And the Holy Spirit is using all of that to work something out in your life. He intercedes. And it says, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This means the Spirit knows the mind of God. He knows God's will. And he stands with you. Come, Philip. As your helper. In your difficult time, he stands with you as your helper. It says, in your difficult time, you might not know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit begins to use every sigh and utterance in your heart to hold you up. Yeah? Even as you are, we he holds you up. <laughs> you see, this is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Most of the time, you don't know that the reason why you are still, still standing <laughs> is because the Holy Spirit has been carrying you. Week after week after week, you haven't yet done something to yourself because he's holding you up. And it says, he who, search, thanks, Phil. he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Did you hear that? He who searches our hearts. You are there praying, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? He who searches our hearts, he knows deeper your need than what you can utter. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know mm, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It, another version says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you know this? It says, and we? No. Tell your neighbor, do you know this? Because the things that you don't know will never benefit you. How many of you, if I give you a card now full of millions of dollars and you, you, you don't have the, the password or the, the, the code to the ATM, all you have is a card. You will never access. You will go hungry with the wealth and the blessing that I've given you because you don't have the words or the code that accesses it. Do you understand? So it is critical that you begin to become aware of what Christ has given us. Next one. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Next one. And those he predestined, he also called. Meaning that from the beginning, God knew that you were going to give your heart to, to Christ. And then he made it so that everyone that gives their hearts to Christ begins to be conformed, begins to be molded to be like Jesus. And then it says, those he predestined, go back, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Hi. 
This means before God, you stand innocent. You think you are dirty sinner standing before God. God is angry at you. That's not what it says. It says the way that the father looks at his son is the way that he looks at you. Do you know this? If you don't, this is what the enemy will spend time persuading you of, that you are just messed up. But something happened on the cross to make you right with God. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What? What does it mean to be glorified? I don't know. <laughs> Homework. Go and find out. Because this has happened to you. Next one. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say? This is very important. When you are in the fire, what then shall you say? When you are in a crisis, what then shall you say? When you have nothing, what then shall you say? Many people say, ah, there's, there's no one to help me. I knew that this was how it was going to turn out. I knew that God didn't love me. They were just lying to us at church. What then shall we say? If God is for me, who can be against me? Next one. This is what we continue. He who did not spare his son, his own son, <laughs> but gave him up for all, us all. How will he not also, along with his son, graciously give us? How many things? What do you need in your life? I wonder if God knows that I need this money for... Do you think that God will give you his son and withhold that? What is money to God? Do you understand? But if you don't know this... You will receive Jesus as if, thanks Lord for Jesus, but I can't eat Jesus. I need bread. Right? It says, if he did not, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Tell your neighbor, I've got all things. And you must persuade yourself of this because we are living in, a ra in two realms. Hmm. Keep going. <laughs> Who will bring any charge or accusation against those whom God has chosen? If it is God, who justifies? Do you ever feel guilty before God? Wrong. Wrong. Why? Why? Because your sins have been forgiven. Has anybody told you that? It's not only that your sins have been forgiven. Welcome. If, if this man is before a judge and we say that he was forgiven, what does it mean? He was found? He was found guilty, guys. You cannot forgive someone who is not guilty. Because he will say, I, I don't need your forgiveness. I'm innocent. What are you forgiving me for? If I'm innocent. Do you understand? So, when we came to Christ, we were forgiven. Then we died. In Christ. Yeah, died. <laughs> then we were raised together with Christ. A new creation. Without a past. This one is justified. When heaven looks on him, he says, I'm what? I'm, I'm innocent. Not, I'm just forgiven. Watch out, watch out. You are just forgiven. Any moment we can get you out of here. It's not like that. This is, this is important that you feel this way when you are going through a crisis. Continue. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It says he argues our case like a defense attorney. So your accusations are not coming from God. 
They are not coming from Jesus. They are both standing on your side, defending you. So your accusations are coming from where? From the accuser of the brethren, the devil. But if you didn't come to church tonight, you wouldn't know this. You'd be at home <laughs> for nothing. Who then is the one who condemns? Continue, continue next one. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Next one. As it is written, for your sakes, we face day all day long. The apostle is speaking about how being an apostle on behalf of the church, persecutions come to him. We face, days all, we, face, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Next one. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who? This is important. You need to talk like that. Not... Can I, can I have a, your ear? I just want to, what do they call it? Vent. Yeah. <clears throat> I just want to ventilate all my, all my negativity. What you are doing there is you are destroying your spiritual walk. You should rather go to someone and say, can you vent at me with the spiritual truths I need to hear? That's what you need. You don't need to go there because after you've vented to your friend, they leave with the same depression <laughs> that you came with. <laughs> two, two donkeys in a well. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You hear that? This is important and it needs to become your reaction. Okay. Give us our message for today. <laughs> we'll probably not finish the message. We'll, we'll put the recording in for, for this morning. Okay, it's on our website. I hope you guys have subscribed to our podcast. Okay, so we're talking about seven principles here this morning of godly governance. I'm going to run through them and highlight a couple of them. The first one is God delegates government to humans through self-government. So the assumption is as God is delegating governance on the earth from the highest throne, he is assuming that you are going to govern yourself. What does that mean? That means that there, there shouldn't be laws about making your bed. Imagine government has to legislate, you must wake up at 5 o'clock, make your bed, have breakfast. No, the assumption is that government exists in order to organize society so that men and women in that society govern themselves. Are you clear? Yeah. How many of you have ever thrown trash on the floor in the road? Suzanne? Ever, ever, ever. You've done it. Some of you are like, mm -mm. I love the environment. Okay, how many of you have ever exceeded the speed limit? <laughs> yeah, now let's talk. Right? Is it because there's no law that says don't exceed the, the speed limit? No, the law is there. But men must govern themselves. If a law exists and men are full of rebellion, that law is not going to restrain them. And that's why the church is so critical in society because it points to a man and says, you have an accountability before God despite what the law says. Yeah? So principle number one is that God delegates government to humans through self-governance. All right? We're looking here at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It speaks of Jesus. It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and the increase of his government and peace will be, there will be no end. It means that Jesus is not only a religious figure or a spiritual figure, he will eventually be a political leader. Did you know that? The kingdom of God is coming to earth in a real way. You remember Jesus came the first time to deal with sin. The second time he's coming to establish his throne and he will reign on earth from where? 
from where? Jerusalem. A real, real, real rain. <laughs> so when we sing, come Holy Spirit, your love is, Jesus is king. And oh, we are not just singing spiritual things. We are talking about, about a real king that's coming. Do you understand? Genesis 1 and 2 speaks about how God delegates authority to Adam and Eve so that they begin to tend the garden. And the assumption is, guys, that every authority that is given, there must be a day on which accountability is made. If you're a, a, a wealthy man and you give your shares or you give your money, your capital, to a certain business, you want them to account a year later and say, what have you done with it? In the same way, there will be a day when every man will be held accountable. Tell your neighbor, you will be held accountable for your life. You will. Even if you say, I won't, they'll drag you there. <laughs> it says that on that day, the vision that was seen is that those who were alive appeared before Jesus and his throne of judgment, and the sea gave up their dead, and the grave gave up their dead, and Hades gave up their dead. They all came before God. Even if you try and commit suicide and run away, you will find yourself having accountability before God. But the good news is that those who have given their lives to Christ have passed from judgment. They had their day in court. This is the good news. Tell your neighbor, come to Christ quickly. <laughs> Principle number two. Democratically elected leaders under a charter of liberties. How many of you know the Bill of Rights of our country? You don't know them. You have the right to life. Margaret, sort of, eh? You have the right to life. You have the right to education. The right to freedom of speech. <laughs> and all the friends say, Amen. <laughs> so, we, the Word of God reveals two things. Firstly, that leaders should be elected from among the people. Right? The only way that this would be trumped is if the leaders were right if the leaders were good. But because of the fact that leaders tend to, tend to being corrupt and they tend to being wrong, what you do is you choose someone from among yourselves. Why? Because you observe their life. Yeah. All right? And the scriptures teach about how God allowed leaders to be chosen from among the people. What happened in the early church in the book of Acts was as the Spirit was being poured out, many people were coming to Christ and they had a social welfare program for the widows and they were giving food to certain widows. But someone on the procurement board of the church was only allocating food to the Jewish widows. There was racism in the church. And the apostle said, Choose from among you men of wisdom and men full of the Spirit so that they may administrate these matters. Are you with me? So principle number two is that there should be democratically elected leaders under a charter of liberties. That's why Wednesday is so important. If you don't go vote on Wednesday, don't complain on Thursday. Right? And if you haven't registered, just wait another five years. <laughs> right? And then the other one is, yeah, but I can't vote because it's, the, it's, it's a choice between two evils. I have to vote for this bad leader or that bad leader. Tell your neighbor, run for office. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a complainer. Start your YouTube channel and you are on Instagram with all your complaining. Run for office. Do something. Right? We'll vote for you. Tell your neighbor, I'll vote for you. Me and your mom. <laughs> You'll have at least two votes. Okay? But I'm serious. If we think that the people that are running are not eligible, rise up. Most of the time, it's in crisis when leaders have to say, I have to run. Some will say the reason why Donald Trump ran for office was because he said, this is a mess. And some would say, no, but he messed it up even more. <laughs> but at least he said, I'm going to run. Okay, principle number three. Decentralized government with limited jurisdiction and powers. The principle here is this, that Leaders tend to become tyrants if they have absolute power. The saying goes, power corrupts. 
And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so what we have in our country is what they call separation of powers. You've got three branches of government. The executive, the judiciary, and the legislature. The executive is the president and his cabinet. They execute the law. The judiciary is the judges and the courts. They apply the law. And then the legislature, what, what do they do? They make the laws. These three must keep one another accountable. All right? In Psalm 1, verse 8, what happens there is that God used to be the leader of the Israel nation. Among the other nations that had kings, they had prophets and judges. But they didn't want prophets and judges. They said, we, we want to be like other nations who have a king. And so they say, and, and they said to God, we want a king just like other nations. We don't just want to have prophets and judges. The judges were people like Gideon and Samson. They were defenders, heroes in Israel. And what happened is, God told them what the king will do is he will take your sons and send them to battle. He will take your daughters and marry them off for alliances, political alliances. And they said, give us! Give us our king. We want our king. And I've said to you before, sometimes you've got to be careful how you pray. Sometimes you are forcing the hand of God. Lord, 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 please, Lord. And then God says, okay. And two years later, Lord, Lord. And like, but I told you. Right? Tell your neighbor, don't pray for things that are not consistent with the word of God. So principle number three, decentralized government and limited jurisdiction of powers. And what needs to happen here is that people need to have their leaders in the communities. You can't just have one leader like an emperor ruling from Ventuk. There needs to be leaders over there and levels of accountability. Next principle, administration of justice, protection of the innocent, and punishment of the wicked. Romans 13 basically says, if you're a good guy, you don't have to fear the authorities. If you're a bad guy, the authorities are there from God to make sure that you fear. Do you understand? Now, some may say, yeah, but some governments are tyrants and somebody needs to put them in their place. We'll get to that point. But the principle is, in a peace-loving country like ours, generally, you should obey the law. Until they make it illegal to preach like this, or illegal to follow Christ, then we can't follow that. Is that clear? And then what happens is that government is in place to protect the innocent and to punish the wicked. And so when they begin to make laws that go against the innocent, we need to watch out. Principle number, principle number five. Education and jobs. Go back to the previous one. Let me say a couple of things here. So when it comes to protection of the innocent, there's still this debate in Namibia about abortion. Right? They say it's an issue of women's rights. And they say that it's a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. And so the casualty of that kind of philosophy is what? Someone gets killed. And they say, no, but that is not a, a real baby. It is just a fetus. And we were here and people were saying, no, it all comes down to when life starts. Okay, now who decides when life starts? You cannot allow the lawyers and the judges to define when life starts. Because if they decide and say, life only starts if you are a certain tribe. That means that certain tribes can be classified legally dead and exterminated. It's the principle of genocide. When we begin to rename things and redefine things, to make it easier to destroy. When, when, when Hitler was taking the Jews into concentration camps, he had to persuade an entire nation concerning the fact that they are not really human. In Rwanda, when genocide was breaking out, on the radio, they were calling, they were calling the, the, the tribe that was exterminated, they were calling them cockroaches. Ah, today, these cockroaches need to be taken out. This cockroaches on the radio, propaganda going out. So when it was time to kill your neighbor, how many of you, you are so eager to kill a cockroach when you see one? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with killing a cockroach. 
<laughs> right? You want it and its eggs and the children and everything to be exterminated. And so we need to be careful when people begin to redefine life from a court. And what is weird is they, they say that, no, life only starts when the child is independent, able to live independently. If you give birth to that child and leave them on their own, they can't live. They are dependent on the mother. And then they say, no, this, this, this thing of, of life, it's a matter of the choice. It's pro-choice. Choice of what a, a, a woman can do with her body. Really? Okay, then choose when you are in the bedroom. Choose in the bedroom what to do with your body. But when a baby comes into the situation, don't say, now I want to choose what to do with this so-called body part in order that you may destroy it. And what happened is, when I was studying law in Stellenbosch, they brought up this thing, and I was like, how can this be? They've got this fiction. A fiction is a lie, right? <laughs> it's another word for a fiction is a pretend. They've got this thing they call a fiction. It's a naskiturus, the birth fiction. What they do is, for the sake of inheritance law, they presume the child to be alive at the point when the child is harmed by someone who wants to inherit in the place of the child. Does that make sense? So in the will, eh, they put you and the child. Eh, so maybe you are the cousin and the child of the, of the parent that died, that child is there. So you, the child, and the cousin are there. If the parent dies, then these two inherit. But if the child can get removed, then you inherit more. And so what do people do? They try and get rid of the child. They kill the mother, and they, they call it a double homicide. The law will recognize that as a life for the sake of a double homicide. And then they will say that if you kill someone, you are not in, allowed to inherit because you actually killed the heir that was supposed to inherit. They presume that that person was alive. It's a fiction. They make it as if they are alive for the sake of inheritance. They will do it for money, but they will not do it for the life of the child itself. In New York, most recently, they passed a law that said, yeah, late-term abortion in order. If you put the video on, the sonogram on, the ultrasound on, you will see that child fighting for life. And what will we say? It's the right of the mother. Yeah. And in that clinic whose voice is not being heard? The voice of the innocent child. And who must speak for them? Pastor Chris. <laughs> who else? And you. Right? Who else will speak for them? This is key. In our society, where we let things slide, we redefine things. I'm telling you, if we begin to define that the child in the womb is not alive, soon enough we will begin to redefine and say those who are above the age of 95 are not truly alive because they are not making contributions, they are burdened, they can't exist on their own. So what will we do? Kill them. You see, whenever you start to redefine things that you have no right in redefining, you end up with genocide. As a believer, if you are a Christian, I'm telling you now, you cannot be pro-choice. <laughs> you can't. If you ask Jesus, say, Lord, is it choice or is it life? What will Jesus say? Life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Give us the next one. Principle number five, education, jobs, wealth creation, and welfare is not meant to be the role of the state. Tell your neighbor, the government is not your mommy. Because <laughs> some of us, we act like the government, the government, did it, the government, the government, the government is not your mommy. Hmm? Tell them properly so that they're your, <laughs> the government is not your mommy. <laughs> but when you hear them complaining about the government, the government is not your mommy. You do something. Whose responsibility is it to educate children? Parents. But because of this thing where we have questions as to what is a man, what is a woman. Uh, so a man can marry a man. Okay, what kind of child do they have? No child. Okay, there's no family then. All of that is being deconstructed. 
deconstructed the fundamentals of a man and a woman having offspring and having the, a, a moral obligation to take care of that offspring and educate them has now been pushed to the government. And the government is eager to become the mother and the father of society so that they can take more than they give. No government exists to take care of you. They are responsible to create an environment where men and women can take care of themselves and one another. Jobs and wealth creation and, 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 and welfare. Whose job is it to create who, whose job is it to create jobs? And the government's job to create jobs. A mommy needs to create jobs. No. It's your responsibility to create jobs. We've seen how the graduates are coming. They are coming in numbers out of these institutions of learning. Soon enough, it will become a crisis that we've got so many graduates without jobs. Ask your neighbor, what are you going to do about it? No, but I pay my taxes. That's why they need to take my taxes. And I, no, you do something. Now here, what happens in Luke 20 is that Jesus is speaking in the context where someone is asking him, should we pay taxes to the government? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Caesar is a Roman empire, emperor. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Denarius is that coin. Caesar, on it. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, it's Caesar's. He said to them, render or give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And the next question should have been, what things are God's? And the answer would have come, whose image is on you? God's image is on you. You belong to God. Give to God what belongs to God. Caesar's image is on the coin. Give to them what belongs to them. Principle number six. Unlimited submission to government is not the teaching of the Bible. Right? It, it basically says in the word of God, look, you are to honor the government, absolutely. But if the government says, kill your neighbor, you must say, sorry, I can't. Even if it costs you your own life. If the government says, curse Jesus, you should say, sorry, I can't, even if it costs you your own life. So this is not a, a, a promotion towards rebellion. Yeah, yeah, no, finally. What's that scripture? <laughs> <laughs> so that you can have rebellion and anarchy. No. Honor the government, pray for them. But when it comes to things that are clear in the word, you cannot proceed. This man here is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, go to the next one. He was a preacher in Germany during the time of the Nazi Holocaust. He was preaching against it to the point where they arrested him and killed him in a concentration camp. This is what he said. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And so if you see something wrong in front of you and you don't do something about it, you are complicit. You are complicit. If you and your boyfriend are walking past an apartment and you hear someone's being beaten inside and your boyfriend is like, let's go and help them. And you're like, baby, let's mind our own business. <laughs> you are promoting gender-based violence. Do something about it. When you see a child deserted on the street. Don't just walk past. I'm sure somebody will find them. Do something about it. The righteous need to stand if our society is going to prosper. Give us a previous principle. Number seven. Prophets and reformers have a vital role to play in government and society. We see various references here. Nathan was a prophet who came to David. David slept with his friend's wife. And then when he found out that she was pregnant, what he did is he, he called for him from battle. He said, Uriah, come home. And Uriah was saying, we are at war. He said, come home. And then when Uriah came home and stood before David, David said to him, go home 
and make love to your wife. The battle has been hectic. Go home and make love to your wife. And Uriah said, no, we've got a pact, David. We've said that when we are at war, no one will sleep with his wife. And so what did David do? Try to get him drunk. Yes, I'm more. <laughs> yes, I'm more. Yes, I'm more. And then after the guy was drunk, he still walked and slept at David's gate. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general of the army. He said, put Uriah in the front lines. He gave it to Uriah, closed, sealed, and said, give this to Joab. Farewell. When Uriah got to battle, he gave the letter to Joab. How's David? No, David is well. Let's go to war. They put him at the front lines. They withdrew from him. Uriah was killed in battle. When, when he sent word, when he sent word to say, yes, Uriah is dead, David said, bring his wife to the palace. And he married her. This is David, the one who killed Goliath, the one that we love so much. Nathan, the prophet, came the very next day and said to David, David, there was a man. There was a man who only, who had many sheep. He had many sheep. Many sheep. He was a rich man. And his neighbor was a man who only had one lamb. He treated it like a daughter. He fed it from his hand. And then the rich man the next day had a visitor. The visitor came. And guess what, what the, the, the rich man gave to the visitor for, for a meal? David said, well, he had a lot of sheep. He took one of the sheep. He slaughtered it. And he gave it to his visitor. He said no. He went to the poor man's house, took the poor man's lamb, and then gave it to his visitor. David said, hey, who is this man? He will rot in my dungeons. And Nathan said to him, you. <laughs> you are that man. And the Bible says that David repented. The baby that he had with Bathsheba died. Right? And the sword came into David's house. Many times that people will rule and reign in positions of power as if there is no accountability above them. But if you're a leader tonight here, if you're a leader tonight here, in whatever capacity, in any place where people follow you, you need to watch yourself. You need to watch yourself. The cries and the prayers of those people. Oh Lord, he shouted at me like this. Oh Lord, they are coming to an authority above you. And we need to have our hearts in a place where we begin to change so that we lead and we govern in a way that honors God. Amen? So I want to pray for you. If you're a leader, if you're in, in a community where you're a leader, you're in charge of people, you're a supervisor, I want you to stand. If you're a manager or something like that in a place of work, I want you to stand. Yeah. And I want you to begin to search your heart in the way that you treat the people that are under you. Have you been harsh? Have you been a tyrant? Have you been a good shepherd? Have you looked out for their best interests? Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to your sons and daughters. That you'll give them repentance, Lord, that tonight they will recognize in their hearts that they've received authority and power not to destroy but to build. Not to destroy but to encourage. Not to destroy but to improve things, Lord God. And even when they are dishing out discipline, that they'll do it with the heart of a shepherd, with the heart of a father, with the heart of a mother, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is here, touching our hearts and touching us to transformation. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, the rest of us. If you're here tonight, you're not born again, or you haven't given your life to Christ, I want to ask you, do you know that if you die tonight, you'll be in heaven? If you are not sure, the word of God says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but that they should have eternal life. So if you're here tonight, you've never taken the opportunity to give your life to Christ and to say, 
I want to give my life to Christ. I know that I'm guilty of my sins and I want to come for forgiveness of sins. I want to give you that opportunity tonight. Is there anyone like that here? Just raise your hands. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that tonight? You have not yet given your heart to Christ. You might be a church-going person. But if they ask you, are you born again? You'll say, ah, maybe. <laughs> God wants to set it right tonight. Is there anyone here like that? All right. I want to pray for someone else here. It's like you've gone, you've, you've, you've been, you've experienced like a victimization in your workplace, in your relationship with your employer. And it has tarnished and hurt your heart in your career. Please come and see us afterwards. Is he, is he coming to give his life to Christ? Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone like that here? You, you are still in the valley of decision. You know, the Word of God says, when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Yeah, today is the day of salvation. You might not have another chance. You think, ah, God can wait. He can wait. Here comes another one. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we are here tonight. Yeah. That's why we are here. Just open your hands like this, both of you. Let's pray with him. Say, Heavenly Father, I heard your voice. I'm here today. Jesus died for me so that I could know you, God. I know that I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything but hell and punishment. I admit my wrongs. But today I hear the good news that Jesus suffered in my place that I don't have to suffer on my own for my sins so today in the name of Jesus I receive forgiveness for all my sins past present and future thank you Lord that you wash me clean with your blood I receive eternal life as a free gift. I receive immortality as a free gift. I receive relationship with God as a free gift. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we pray for your son and daughter. We thank you, Lord, that it's not, a chance, it's not by chance that I, they are here today, Lord God. That your spirit drew them, Lord God, to say, today is your day, my son, you are coming home. My daughter, you are coming home. Father, all the questions they may have, your word is a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path, Lord. Yeah. Thank you that from today, their lives are completely going to change, Lord. Their friends will testify something has changed, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that your love is upon them. Your blessings are going to begin to burst forth in their lives. That they'll begin to experience you like never before. We prophesy visions and dreams, Lord, over their lives. That they'll begin to experience you, hear your voice, Lord, and know you in Jesus name say together with me today I've given my life to Christ I am born again in Jesus name Amen <laughs> Hallelujah God bless you I see, I see a book opening I see the Lord writing leader of leaders leader of leaders chapter 1 leader of leaders and you have maybe been at the background when it comes to spiritual things, but the Lord is going to pull you forward. He's going to say, he's saying, I'm going to teach you the basics. You're going to take other guys and you're going to lead them. You're going to begin to speak with such wisdom, even in your workplace, in the places where God will open for you. You'll be surprised at the wisdom that comes from your life because there's a new man inside. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.